the ineffable uh, house party protocol. <laughs> Incoming transmission. Engage house party protocol. Mark 4, powering up. Mark 17, powering up. Mark 44, powering up. All suits are online. Welcome to house party protocol. Power up suits and welcome into another episode of House Party Protocol. My name is Will, and with me today is the one and only Kill Panic or Dave, as I like to call him. What's happening, my guy? Hey, Will. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, uh, my name is Dave, and I'm Kill Panic on the internet. Yeah, excited to talk about uh, some Marvel Crisis Protocol with y'all today. Yeah, it's going to be really good. I'm excited for this show because we've got. A character to cover and then a topic that is near and dear to my heart that is kind of new player centric and not so much tips and tricks in terms of on the tabletop strategy per se but just in a general kind of new player discussion and stuff like that because dave we are about to have a brand new core set which to me means that we're going to see an influx of new players, which is something I'm really excited for. Well, I got to say, I'm trepidatious, not because of the uh, new players. I'm very excited about that. But a new box set is so much painting to do. Oh, and it's uh, it's not going to be cheap either. But at the same time, I'm excited and, uh, you know, probably be a day zero purchaser as well. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, I'm not too intimidated about the painting because I won't be painting all of them. <laughs> you know gray lord supreme over here what can i say i i have had painted models recently but it's i'm in that like i don't know about you but i go through waves of paint a lot and then don't paint anything then paint a lot and then don't paint anything and i'm currently in a paint a lot wave but it hasn't all been marvel crisis protocol oh yeah i'm i'm the same way i go in waves too although i've been uh Pretty consistent this year, I have to say, and last year as well. Uh, but uh, but my attention is is divided amongst uh, several different games, of which Marvel is only one of them. But fortunately, I'm at the point now where I have a couple of rosters built, and uh, you know, um, I just paint one or two more guys, and I got a whole new look. Nice, yeah, that's awesome. I am also in a weird spot where I'm trying to figure out what I want to play right now after playing Guardians and taking that to NashCon, and I've been dipping my toes into Wakanda and I opened up my, my box of models that I have and I saw, I painted Shuri way back when. So at least she's painted. Nice. Nice. I, I, I have Shuri as well and she is not, she's assembled in prime. So hmm. she hasn't seen the table yet. I'm but, disappointed uh, in you. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, she's, she's been intimidating. She's got a lot of little fine details and, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure I'm up to that color scheme, but you know, one day I'll give her a shot. One day, indeed. So, Dave, tell the suits out there a little bit about yourself and about how you found Marvel Crisis Protocol, how long you've been playing, that kind of stuff. Well, uh, well I'm a lifelong gamer. I'm not going to say how long because that'll, uh, that'll tell you exactly how senior <laughs> I am. But let's say it's a, it's a real, real long time. Um, as for uh, as for Marvel Crisis Protocol, I uh, um, 
was invited to a uh, to a games day in celebration of um, a five year anniversary of my uh, friendly local gaming store. And one of the events they had was a demo of the uh, the Ultron Ultimate Encounter. Nice. And uh, yeah, so I, I played. Uh, it was like a bunch of people. Each per, each person got to play one character. I got to play Black Widow. My very first time I played the game. And um, first time she got she got blown up right right away because I didn't know what two threat was. <laughs> but I could see right away uh, the possibilities of this game, both as a, both as a friendly cooperative game and as as uh, versus. And uh, so I uh, immediately started buying into it. Um, unfortunately, about 10 days later, um, the, the entire world went on lockdown. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I managed to keep my toe in the, uh, in the uh, hobby by buying every release as it came out, uh, right up until She-Hulk. So I have, I have all of them until She-Hulk, and then, you know, then I got a little bit more uh, thinking about what I purchased. Um, tried TTS. Uh, uh, some uh, some kind gentleman whose name I forget bought me the game and uh, on online, but uh, TTS didn't really work for me. So yeah, you know, uh, basically just uh, just enjoyed the game by proxy. Listened to a lot a lot of podcasts, watched a couple of uh, uh, vods of games being played and so on. And uh, now lately, uh, you know, I'm uh, the opened up for some time now. I'm back to my regular gaming schedule of uh, playing Marvel Crisis Protocol every once every six weeks to two months. So you know, I'm, uh, I'm a veteran by now. Nice, nice, yeah. That, that's awesome that it it's, I think, a story that a lot of people follow with this game specifically in that the buying into it and then boom, right in the middle of COVID, everything shuts down, gaming stores are, are not having events and all of that stuff. And I think that that's one of the reasons, and I've mentioned it before on this show, that this game is still, I think, in that growth state where we haven't seen what Marvel Crisis Protocol will be in terms of events, and that is not just competitive events, but casual events as well. And I think that now with this new core set that's coming out and with the events blossoming and stuff, I think we're going to start to finally see things take off for Marvel Crisis Protocol and really grow this game and this hobby, I th I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's certainly new players joining all the time. And, uh, you know, in, in my area, interest has probably waned a little bit. Um, uh, for example, in, there's no uh, formal, like, weekly club meeting for Marvel Crisis, uh, you know, within driving distance of me. Um, but... Uh, it, you know, it still has it still has a number of fans, and uh, uh, still pretty good uh, pretty good spot for uh, Marvel. Now, uh, a little bit farther than the casual drive for me in, in Southwest Ontario. There's uh, there's a ton of Marvel going on. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So uh, you got uh, you got Jonathan Ho, the the famous painter. He's oh, down yeah. there in that direction, and uh, and Leland from Aegis Brand, who I know only briefly from the internet. He's down there, um, and. Uh, yeah, so there's lots of there's there, there's lots of uh, MCP around. It's just uh, spotty in places. So hopefully, uh, this new course set will will spark a, a renewed interest uh, in, in places where it just is winged. Yeah, I I think it will. Uh, and I don't have anything to back that up on. It's just one of those things where I I see this as a net positive, and 
Anytime you have a big, beautiful box full of stuff sitting on the shelf at a game shop, people are going to be like, ooh, what's that? And you're like, oh, well, let me show you because I have this beautifully painted Hulkbuster model that would like to say hello. Oh, yeah, there's certainly the uh, there's uh, there's there's some models in the in the range that'll definitely attract attention. Hulkbuster's one of them. Absolutely, absolutely. Have you considered going to your local game shop and maybe trying to host a demo day and coordinating with them some kind of thing where hey, I'll make myself available to do demos and you bring your models and stuff and let people go to town. Uh, yes, I yes I have, but as I mentioned earlier, I also have other interests, and I think if I'm going to be doing that, I might be doing that with other games instead. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah. Just let just let uh, uh, growth uh, let uh, uh, the game grow organically. But uh, yeah, no, I have a real uh, strong interest in the, in the ultimate encounters, specifically the uh, the co op ones uh, yeah. or the two v one uh games because i think they're uh, fantastic for teaching new players and they're also a really great way uh to play the game stress-free you get all the fun of of uh pushing your uh superhero pajama models around and uh, <laughs> none of the stress of uh trying to win or lose exactly exactly so what's your favorite ultimate encounter then i can't say that i've played all of them the one i play the most is ultron actually the all all this metal might be my favorite one because it's it's actually pretty tough for the uh, for the players to win. Yeah. Um, and it's um, it's uh, it's true co-op, which I like. There's a, there's AI for the uh, uh, for the adversary, yeah. which is kind of plain to type for Ultron, right? Right. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, the, the OG might be my might be my favorite so far. Nice. I like that one a lot. I also enjoyed the Colossus one that I played. I haven't had an opportunity to play the Parker Luck yet. Or uh, separation anxiety, which I know a lot of my local friends here love separation anxiety. They think it's just the most fun thing. So I'm I'm wanting to get a chance to play that at some point. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I haven't played uh, Parker Lock or separation anxiety um, either, and uh, you know, but I'm keen on trying to uh, trying to locate some copies so I can so I can try them out. The Colossus Unstoppable Colossus was was very cool. I think uh, by that point. Uh, me and my uh, regular uh, Marvel pals were a little bit too skilled at the game, so was, <laughs> we found it a bit easy. Yeah. But uh, there's the Hello one that was really good, really oh, fun. Yeah, and, I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah, that was that was very fun as well. Nice. So, um, yeah, looking looking forward to uh, looking forward to, uh, to trying them all out at some point. Although the uh, couple of those Ultimate Encounters are locked behind some pretty expensive boxes, so unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that that is the the way the business be sometimes, I guess, right? Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So yeah. today with our our main topic today, I want to talk about you mentioned that you played Black Widow in your very first demo experience for Marvel Crisis Protocol. So I see it only fitting that we talk about the Black Widow from the new core set. How do you feel about that? Oh, I'm super excited about this. In fact, uh, when we when we first talked about it, I made sure not to uh, not to get any spoilers or hear anybody else's opinions about the uh, uh, about the Black Widow. Um, you know, so I could uh, sort of make my own uh, make my own judgments about what I thought about the character. And and you can tell me if my uh, my new opinions are really far off the mark or oh, I'm doing oh, a good yeah. job of analyzing. <laughs> we welcome all opinions here. 
I don't think you have to worry about that. Look, I, I have some pretty spicy takes, as I'm sure you've heard. So I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I do too. And we can go into those if we have time later on. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So first thing we're going to do when we talk about the Black Widow is we're going to take a look at her brand new model. And yeah, this is one of the sickest models from the core set, I got to say. I love this model. I'm so uh, I'm so excited to to paint her. You know, I love her active pose, and uh, you know, contrary to some opinions uh, on the internet, um, I, I really like uh, it when they uh, add um, uh, terrain pieces or different action scenes to the to the model. Um, I think it can only uh, increase the immersion. I mean, um, even if you're not fighting robots at the time, you know, uh, how else are you gonna um, uh, get this pose uh, of uh, the Black Widow uh, punching through somebody's torso. Right, right. And uh, it's one of those things where I don't know, because we don't have a fully complete picture here, at least what I'm looking at, but it looks like that you could probably take the Ultron drone off of her model and and fashion something else on there. And I'm with you, though. I think this is a wonderful sculpt. And like, yeah, okay, cool. If you're not fighting Ultron drones, I get it. But it looks awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, it, it uh, it's, I got to say that uh, uh, Atomic Mass is just doing a fantastic job of uh, creating models with uh, incredible dynamism. Um, uh, you know, just uh, superb poses. Um, I don't think I've seen anything like it. Well, maybe Malifaux, it comes close, but yeah, the the, uh, the way that they've uh, that they've really pushed the boundaries of uh, of sculpting is uh, something that's super exciting to me as a model. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's that's just it right there. Is one of the things that I know I can get lost in a lot of the times when I talk about different models and stuff is the hobby aspect of it and for people that really like painting models i'm i'm with you it's hard to find more dynamic models than what mcp is doing especially in plastic yeah yeah you know? oh yeah there's a there's lots of crazy stuff in um in the 3d printing world but in, in terms of plastic um you know uh well i mean the whole industry has come a long way but uh but i think uh I think Atomic Mass is leading the charge for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and this yeah. is one that, for me, really stands out in the core set. I mean, the, the core set, Spectacular Spider-Man, and then this Black Widow on the hero side is incredible. And then I think the Doc Ock and Ultron and the drones on the villain side are just the three models that really just showcase everything that is amazing about Marvel Crisis Protocol. Oh yeah, that's they're stunning. Like the villains, the villains in particular, um, I tend to um, uh, just paint my models as is and uh, in in box art when it comes to Marvel, which ain't hard because that's what their comic uh, costumes look like anyway. Yeah. But I did add a bunch of uh, a big pile of skulls for my Ultron to stand on. Nice. Um, but uh, I still might prefer this new Ultron. This he looks really good. And, uh, you know, I think it's an improvement over over all of the previous corset models, with the exception maybe of Baron Zemo. I really like the old uh, Baron Zemo. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, 
but speaking of which, um, the, the other thing I really like about the Black Widow is that the other two Black Widow models don't really uh, cut the mustard as far as I'm concerned. The, uh, the, the, they're both a little bit awkward, and uh, the three-threat uh, Black Widow um, especially has this strangely pose that uh, doesn't really work for me. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I like this one the best in, in just, like, this this model just tells a story, right? And uh-huh. and that's what I like about it. Not all these corset models tell a story, but this one here specifically, you are literally capturing the moment that Black Widow is in battle with an Ultron drone, and I just, I love it. I can't say enough good things about it. The original corset one is not the best. It It's basic, but it also, like, I understand that they they thought they had certain limitations at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I get it. You know, she's doing her, her Widow Sting blast thing. So, like, I get that. The three-threat version, I think it's awkwardly posed, but you can kind of see what they were going for, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. No, I get it. I just think it's, it's it, you know, maybe part of that transition phase before they really kind of nailed the whole... Uh, 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 dynamism, dynamism concept that they were going for. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I guess for me, it's it was just a bit of a disappointment since she came in with uh, Hawkeye, who I think is still my favorite uh, models in all the in all the game. Nice, nice. Yeah, I um, I yeah, I like Hawkeye a lot. So for me on this one, I think I'm gonna. I painted the original corset Black Widow like the White Widow. You know, I did like the kind of snowsuit thing. And this is one where I probably would go just the original black, but what about you? Are you gonna do box art or are you gonna mix it up on this one? See, I just I just do the card art. And the main reason why I do that is like there's there's nothing that says that uh that you know six months down the road uh Atomic Mass isn't gonna release like a separate white widow uh character that ha- that you know you'd want to yeah. paint white and then then the then the, the figure I just painted is uh it's a little bit uh, awkward on the table uh, that people might assume that it's, it's a different character than the one I'm presenting. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah, but I'm stodgy that way. <laughs> hey, man, you know, it, it's we all got our thing, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> all yeah. right, cool. So let's go over this character now. We have the Black Widow with an alter uh-huh. ego of Natasha Romanoff. Now, it's important to note that if you're a newer player, you might see we have three versions of Natasha Romanov, even though the original corset version has her alter ego name wrong, but that's okay. The uh it's I think it's Romanova or something like yeah, Romanova mm-hmm. on the original corset, but that's just incorrect. And they errated that to be right. So we have three versions of Natasha Romanov, is what I'm trying to say. And you can have all three versions of Natasha Romanov in your roster. However, you on one side of the table can only have one version of Natasha Romanov on the tabletop. Now, your opponent can also play a Natasha Romanov, even the same one that you have, but only in one squad, you can only have one version. And I'm going to keep mentioning that with these new characters because I had a, a player ask me recently, a newer player here locally said, hey, can we both have the same have the same character on the table at the same time? And it's like, well, hang on, I need more information. You mean 
both of y'all playing the same character or one person playing two versions of the same character? And they were like, we each had Toad. Can we both have Toad? I said, yes. So it's that's a long-winded way for me to say that you're only going to have one on your side of the table, but your opponent can also have one. So... Yeah, yeah, and that's totally that's totally consistent with uh, with the sort of style of uh, of comic book storytelling. You know, the, oh, yeah. the, the stories are full of you know alts and clones and um, uh, alien imposters and uh, life decoy models and all kinds of stuff. So you know, if uh, if that's something that bothers you, uh, uh, a Natasha Romanoff facing your Natasha Romanoff across the table, just imagine you're in one of those scenarios. Love it, love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, now the, the the one thing the one thing I want to confirm with you, uh, Will, is that uh, uh, this particular rule, not that it'll ever come up in competitive play anyway, uh, suggests that you can you can't have uh, Punisher and um, uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider on the table at the same time. Is that right? Uh, that would be correct. Yeah, because yep. they're both Frank Castle. Yep, they're both Frank Castle. So that's one of those really interesting nuances that you caught there in in how the alter ego rule will work. But I think that's kind of cool. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not not a huge not a huge opportunity cost to not be able to play Punisher if you're playing Cosmic Ghost Rider. Exactly. Or so, the other way around. Exactly. So <laughs> with the top stat line here, the Black Widow is four physical defense, three energy defense and four mystic defense. She has a stamina value of six, a threat value of four. She is size two, and she moves long. So we've been seeing this top stat line of four, three, four quite a bit lately. And I mean, that's Blade's stat line there. And I like it. I think a four threat character having for physical defense and having a weakness somewhere in this case energy is fine and the thing i think about black widow i think that her physical defense being four someone might look at that and be like well she's not the most like physically imposing character but i think that's a representation of her, her like um agility which i think is a really cool way to represent that yeah, just think about the sorts of things she's managed to accomplish in the movies. And she's uh, she's an incredibly uh, durable superhero, uh, especially for a um, a trained regular human rather than a, than a than a mutant or, or superpowered. Uh... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, I like that she also moves long. Still, like that's that's a thing that we haven't seen a ton of long movers lately. And so, a long move Black Widow is something I am super here for. Yeah, one of the things that still it takes me by surprise as a newer player is the the really vast difference in the uh, in the movement ranges of various characters. Short to medium and medium are enormous jumps in mobility, and long especially. Uh, if you have a long uh, vi viable attack, but there is some uh, objective play that you want to do, uh, long long will do pretty much uh, from any one objective to any other objective. Um, on the table yeah you can get around a lot of space with the long move having played a lot of web warriors with some long movers in there i can tell you <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and it also helps uh it, it also helps characters 
that are on the ground, right? A lot of the a lot of long movers uh, are going to have a web crawler or flight, but a lot of them don't. And uh, you know, you can really uh, you can really dodge around buildings and still get to where you need to. Yep, absolutely. So for a basic stat line, I'm I'm happy with all of this. I think this is a solid four threat. But Dave, why don't you take her attacks now? All right, so the Black Widow actually has three attacks, and her first is called Shock Batons. It's an energy attack with a range 2, damage 5, and a power cost of 0. It's a builder, so after this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. Uh, and there's a wild trigger, Shock. Uh, before damage is dealt, the target character gains the Shock special condition. Okay, cool. What is the Shock condition again? It's one of the S's, so it, um, uh, I think, uh, means you can only gain one power, um, from any one instance. That would be stun. So, okay. shock special so, condition is one of my favorites, and especially in our current, quote-unquote, battle cruiser meta, if you will, like, that... That it's especially good because what shock does is it means you lose an attack die on an attack. So, for instance, if Black Widow applies shock to Captain America, his shield throw would go down to four dice instead of five. As an example. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. So that's uh that's the inverse of incinerate. Uh, correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if you mentioned it, but it is an energy attack, which is especially nice. It's range two, but that long move means that she should have no problem getting into the appropriate range to rattle this off. Yeah, uh, range two is uh, is a pretty short range, though, and uh, puts her in, in danger of, um, of uh, pretty much everybody else as well. So it's a good thing that she's uh, got a robust basic stat line, and I'm just hoping that we'll see some better defenses later on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what's the next one? Next one's called Widow Stingers. It's also an energy attack. It's range four. It's uh, uh, damage dice of four and also a power cost of zero. Uh, this is a gainer, which means after this t attack is resolved, this character gains one power and it has a wild stun. Before damage is dealt, the target character gains the stun special condition. And uh, stun is the special condition that uh, says that a character can only gain one power from any instance. Correct, correct. So if you have a character like an Asgardian that would gain an additional power during the power phase, they only gain one. Which yeah, is... so, yeah, so it's also before damage is dealt. So that means if a character would gain more than one power from da being damaged by this attack, they would only gain one. Correct. Is that correct? Yeah, so that before wording is one that until recently we had only seen, I think, one or two characters that had a before damage stun, one of them being Mystique with her spender. And now having a free attack, and yes, it's a wild trigger on four dice, so don't rely on it, but having a free attack at range four that can before damage is dealt stun someone is huge because why that's so important is one of the foundational mechanics in marvel crisis protocol is the catch-up that is power generation when you go down and what's really cool about the black widow here is she can't potentially 
stun someone that's already activated. Maybe it's turn one and maybe they interacted with an objective. So now they don't gain any power or they get the one power from the damage that she does. Or maybe she doesn't even do any damage and she just stuns them, right? So they're going to get their one power in the power phase. And then if another character comes up and swipes at them, they're only going to gain one power and they're not going to be able to wake up and have access to all of their abilities, which I think is just amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's only it's only a four die attack. So, uh, you know, a wild is not uh, is not very likely. It's more unlikely than likely, I would say. Um, yeah. But it is a it is a range four attack. And I think that's going to uh, come up in a very interesting way as we read down the, the list of this character's powers. I think you might be right. So what's the next attack? So the next attack um, is her spender. It's called Deadly Origins, and it's a physical attack. Uh, this is a range two attack with seven dice. That's a nice big punch. And it costs four power, which is uh, quite a lot of power. Um, uh, now it says after this attack is resolved, this char character may advance M, which is pretty good, although she's already range two, so uh, an advance uh, could get her out of range rather than in range. And then she has a special trigger. She gets a hit and a wild. Um, she triggers finisher. And after this attack is resolved, this character make, may make a shock batons attack. The character may reroll any number of dice during that attack, including skull results. Love it. Love it. Dude, I love this spender so much. Well, for a lot of reasons. It's range two, so yeah, but that long move, she's not going to have a problem getting to range two. But the sweet spot for dice, Dave, what do I always say? What's the sweet spot? Uh, seven dice? That's right. Seven effing dice is the sweet spot. Like, you start rolling more than that, and things just go haywire. Like, I had mm -hmm. uh, somebody roll uh, 13 or 14 or 17 dice Helios into my Cosmic Ghost Rider one day, and couldn't finish him. And I was like, you know, you should roll too many dice. If you'd rolled seven, he'd have been dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not enough dice, though, for Helios. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You so you spend all the power just to be sure. Just to be sure. So I really like this attack, though. I think the fact that it's physical, it might not do as much damage because that is the hardiest defense type in the game. But I think the movement aspect of it, like you can move hit someone with this and it's worth noting this movement is guaranteed there's no trigger to get the movement it's just you move medium yeah. so i really love that so it allows for objective play with her so you can say all right cool i'm gonna move long to get into range of someone i'm gonna hit them i'm gonna be right at that range too and then move medium away to an objective or just move to where now i'm in stealth and you can't shoot me back yeah, Spoiler it's such alert. it's such a versatile um, uh, part of this uh, uh, superpower, and it's uh, it, it's what everybody wants. Um, you know, some extra uh, action economy on their uh, uh, on their actions. Exactly, and I do want to kind of talk about the finisher aspect of this because we've seen finisher before, but I don't think it could re-roll the skulls. I think it was the Sabretooth apex predator has a finisher or maybe it was regular saber tooth but i don't think they got re-rolls on it 
So I'll, I'll double check that in a second. But the fact that you get the medium advance and you get finisher here, if you hit the finisher trigger, you can choose what order you trigger these things in. Just because they're listed advanced then finisher doesn't mean you have to take them in that order. And that's a thing I see a lot of new players will will say, okay, well, I have to advance and then I can do my finisher. Because the timing on these is after this attack is resolved, both of them say that, you can choose which order you activate these things, which I love. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, and uh, it's it's funny that you mentioned Sabretooth because uh, although I've never uh, seen him in uh, on the table, uh, I have heard a lot of discussion about him, and my understanding is that he's a character that uh, can take a while to get powered up, but once he gets there, he's uh, he's good to go, and um, uh, this is uh, uh, probably a good reason why the Black Widow will be similar. Um, because when she gets her finisher trigger, she gets to do her builder again. So yeah, the the uh, the spender's expensive, but she's going to get some portion of that power back, uh, ideally by making the secondary attack. Yeah, and I did just look it up. The original Sabretooth on his spender has the finisher, and it can re-roll any number, but not skulls. Whereas this one, you can re-roll skulls, which is a, a nice little bonus. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a real feels good, right? Because oh, yeah. uh, you get you get stuck in uh, in uh, with skulls, and uh, uh, you can't use any other rerolls. So depending on who on whose leadership she's counting on, um, you know the, the skulls could come in real handy. So yeah. Guardians, for example, if she's got a uh, she's got that real reroll token, she can reroll those uh, those skulls, right? Uh, so not when using so deadly origins with the finisher so uh -huh. she would be able to do that she'd be able to reroll skulls just naturally the winging it token does not innately allow her to reroll skulls so right but so so she gets she gets skulls with a finisher finisher correct. Uh, attack then that'll that'll open up potential uh potential skulls correct uh, yeah. potential rolls um uh, for winging it exactly yeah so exactly. like if it, it the way that would work if you want to think about what what we're trying to get at here it's finisher okay i roll my finisher i only have two successes and three skulls with my shock batons then i can pick up those skulls and use the re-roll for the for the actual re-roll any there so i roll those and i get two more skulls if i have a winging it token because this attack the the wording says on finisher may re-roll any number of its dice during that attack, including failure results, I could then use that winging it token if I'm still within the finisher step of my attack and re-roll some more skulls that way. Oh, I didn't even think about that, but uh, that's that's very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's a yeah. it's a, a neat little thing I think when you when you kind of break down those those things that nest within each other and how that kind of works. So if basically if she gets access to rerolls outside of her own kit there, because it's reroll any number, including failure results during that attack, then any outside access to rerolls she would have would allow her to reroll skulls as well. Well, that just got even better, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So like Shuri would be able to say here, have some rerolls and she could do skulls after she, or, you know, either after or before she's done her reroll any, step so yeah yeah it's a it's an interesting and neat thing i think but remember that you can't 
re-roll things with the same superpower. So, for instance, you couldn't have Shuri give you re-rolls more than once. Or if you had, let's say, Baron Zemo and Baron Strucker standing right next to her, you wouldn't get to do strategic genius re-rolls from each of them. You'd get to do it from one of them. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. again, if you're doing the finisher and you're rolling that shock batons attack, that strategic genius could let you re-roll skulls, which I think is it's a little nuance and corner case thing, but I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, so you know, on a seven dice uh, attack, you're you know going to get one natural reroll some portion of the time, right? Not never. So yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds really good to me. Yeah, and then I also want to talk about now that we're done talking about all of her attacks. First of all, I love her attack suite. I think it's pretty great, actually. Second of all, I want to highlight the fact that under the new Steve, so Captain America First Avenger, I'd say you're likely to hit these triggers very often because that leadership says once per turn when an allied character is attacking during the modified dice step, if there are one or more hit results in the attack roll, it may spend one power. If it does, it changes one of its dice results to any other result. I added the word dice for some reason. But basically, if you roll a hit, you are now guaranteed to get a wild. So yeah. it costs you one power. And if you think about like the pattern that you would want to do with something like this, right? Like, let's say you have Black Widow and you're trying to move and pick up a spider infected. But there's a target that's within range four, and you want to get that stun on them. What you can do is move to within range four of your target and within range one of your spider infected. Roll your dice. If you get a hit, then you can say, cool, I'm going to spend my one power that I started the power phase with. And now, and this is using Widow Stingers, and, mm -hmm. and I'm going to change this into a wild i'm going to change my blank into a wild so now you have stunned that character before damage is dealt and maybe you did an additional damage to him as well great and then you've gained that one power back from widow stingers and can interact with that objective no it's a it's a it's an obvious and powerful synergy um it uh, it does mean that deadly origins becomes a five power attack basically which requires some setting up i think um but uh, given the likely use for the Black Widow on the tabletop, I think it's um, you know, uh, odds are better than not that she'll be able to get those Deadly Origins attacks off. And under Steve's leaderships, it'll be it, she'll get that uh, uh, finisher um, attack off very, very reliably. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like we'll talk about here in just a second with these superpowers, I think she's going to be able to do pretty much everything she wants to do given her power economy. So superpowers we have a reactive superpower called calculated risk. So it's reactive, so that means there's a trigger that's going to happen, and then we do the thing, and it'll call out when this happens. So we'll talk about this here in a second. Calculated risk is going to cost you two power. When this character is defending against a physical or mystic attack, so there's your trigger when she is defending against a physical or mystic attack, during the modified dice step of the attack, it may use this superpower. This character may re-roll any number of its defense dice, including failure results. 
So we've seen a superpower like this before, supernatural senses on Blade. But I love this, physical or mystic, which that's her highest defense value. So basically, I'm reading this, Dave, as don't attack her with physical or mystic, right? I mean, yeah, or attack her with a whole bunch of uh, physical or mystic dice at once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, really powerful uh, ability against uh, uh, weaker attacks, though, especially with their physical defense of four. Yes, yes, and I think this is one of those things where forcing her to use this can be beneficial at times, where you're like, okay, cool, I, I don't really have a reliable energy attack, so. Here's four physical defense. Do you want to use your thing? Maybe she's sitting there. She's got three damage. She does, and that burns a little bit of power off of her. You know, so then she maybe can't get that deadly origins as easily, which I think is nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I love this. It's, it's a great superpower. And that's her only superpower that costs any power. So I love that. And she has three innate power, so these are always active no matter what. All that matters is the mission. When this character would drop an objective token, its controlling player chooses where to place the token instead of their opponent. We've seen this before on the Fury Grunts, but now it's on a four threat character and this is awesome. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a really cool ability. Uh, Fury Grunts, of course, could place them a little farther due to their uh, larger base size. But, uh, you know, this is one of those sneaky good abilities, I think, that a new player won't uh, uh, realize at first um, just how effective it is. Uh, what this means, basically, this text means, is that uh, um, if uh, the Black Widow loses uh, an objective token, uh, you are going to get it back. I mean, yeah, there, it's either you're going to get it back or you're going to make it to where the opponent has to put themselves in a very difficult position to get it themselves. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, And yeah, th this is wonderful. And I also feel like this is thematic for this character in a lot of ways in that, you know, she's running up to the middle of the board, grabbing an objective and then just like, okay, cool, come at me. And then she's, you know, here, Somebody grab this, you know, I just, I, I love that idea. Yeah, so far, she seems to be really reading as, a, as like a recovery specialist. Like, I'm going to grab some tokens, I'm going to run into, you know, a bunch of injured uh, or uh, uh, damaged uh, opponents and maybe whack somebody who's got a, an objective token, maybe finish them off, grab their token, and then um, either uh, advance ammo away or, um, you know, get... Uh, get walloped herself, but be able to effectively toss off the token to uh, to one of your nearby allies. Yeah, absolutely love it. Then we have two things we've seen before on the original version of Black Widow. Martial Artist, when this character is defending against a physical or energy attack, targeting it from within range two, this character adds blanks in its defense rolls to its total successes. Amazing, especially with a four physical defense and then if you're attacking her with energy within range three, it's not a foregone conclusion that you're going to be able to finish her off. So I love that. I love that. And then she also has stealth. Characters must be within range three of this character to target it with attacks. So if you're doing the math, you can see that optimally you want to shoot her with energy. And the range to do that is range three, not range two, which is a very narrow range band of 
optimal attackage of the Black Widow here, and I just love that. I think it's really great. Uh, yeah, she's got she's got a very narrow uh, band of vulnerability, uh, as you're uh, alluding to, um, and I also think it's really interesting that although um, energy is her technical weakness, uh, she's actually uh, has uh, additional defenses, let's say, against all three attack types. Mm-hmm. Calculated risk protects her against physical and, and uh, mystic, and martial artist protects her against physical and energy. So, um, so yeah, that makes, uh, I think, for a pretty robust character. Yeah, I love it. And the only thing that changes on her injured side is that she goes down to five stamina. So she's six, and she goes down to five on her injured side. So she doesn't have the biggest health pool in the world, but... I think with all of her defensive tech kind of rolled into one thing here, I think she's going to be pretty great. Yeah, she's still vulnerable to spikes, but then again, who isn't in this game? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm I'm loving the the Black Widow here and how do you feel, Dave, about the fact that this is yet another four threat character and do you feel like that this version of Black Widow is going to live up to this four threat and also do you feel like that she'll be able to replace her counterparts well starting with the last question first i don't think she will replace her counterparts um threat level is probably the the primary determinant in uh the roles that uh, characters make in a roster at least um that's what it's been like in my limited experience so as a four threat character uh i, I don't think she she will um be able to do the job that the that the three threat or especially the two threat character um, will do um, in games, but um, as for as for uh, whether sh- she will see a lot of action, um, I don't know. I'm going back and forth uh, on it. Uh, uh, well, I first thing I did was compare her to other um, four threat sort of. Um, brawler characters, some of whom I uh, uh, I'm familiar with, and some of whom I'm less familiar with. And, uh, you know, despite all of uh, the strengths that we've just detailed, um, a lot of the, uh, I, I think she, she might fall short to, uh, when compared to a character like um, uh, uh, the Black Panther, for example, or uh, who is in affiliation, or uh, Gamora, who is not in affiliation. Um, uh, I think Gamora and the Black Widow are an inter- a very interesting comparison. Um, uh, given their similarities and their differences um they and after all they, they do have different different jobs gamora is an attrition character purely and black widow seems to be um an all-arounder with an emphasis on objective play mm-hmm. um but uh uh i guess i guess uh the bottom line is i'm not uh, uh experienced enough with with objective strategies to know whether uh whether all that matters is, is the mission is going to be a uh, uh, key sort of um, part of her kit um, yeah. that will uh, compel people to take her in a list. Yeah. So for me, I think it all depends on where she's affiliated, right? Like we can feel pretty confident that she's an Avenger. I also would imagine she is a S.H.I.E.L.D. character as well. And She's got to be, right? I mean, you would think. I got to say, if she's in S.H.I.E.L.D., I think that's a compelling place to take her. I know that um, Merzane might feel differently, but I think that playing a little taller version of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
could be interesting. Typically, when you play Shield, it's you've got Nick Fury, and then you've got a lot of smaller three-threat or lower models that can kind of interact with the mission, allow you to trigger your leadership, stuff like that. But I do think there's some merit to playing the Black Widow with S.H.I.E.L.D. and saying, okay, cool, I've got two objectives, and now I have two characters that when you hurt them, that they drop it to to where it benefits me instead of benefiting the opponent. And I think that that really is going to have some big objective play. And I think that when you look at affiliations that struggle to play objective, that a character like the Black Widow can come in and fit in that a little bit. And you mentioned Black Panther and Gamora. So I want to address both of those because I think that those are fair comparisons. But when I look at Black Panther, he's he's one of two things. He is a hard control piece, meaning he wants his pushes to get people off of objectives and and to pl- be tanky and and control the positioning of the opponent. So he does that. Or you can play him, I feel like, under M'Baku, and he becomes a damage monster with Mantle the Black Panther, and he can just one-shot things potentially left and right. It's wild. It's fun, but it's awesome. And so yeah. so I've seen him do that, but I think he's more of a hard control piece. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I mean, obviously Black Widow here has zero control. She is not going to be manipulating other models on the board. And then you look at Gamora as another example. And like you said, you mentioned it. Gamora is pure attrition and she's good at that. And I think that, again, the Black Widow here is going to be chip damaging people and trying to, I think, get those conditions on people like shock and stun when able. And I think that those yeah. things are going to play a big part in how successful she is on the tabletop. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think, I, I guess my uh, my concern with the Black Widow uh, is that uh, as a jack-of-all-trades master of none, uh, she might fall uh, between the gaps of uh, more specialized characters. Uh, I mean, she, she doesn't she doesn't do a lot of damage um she does have some pretty nice um uh wild triggers but with low attack dice the chances of her getting those triggers are not uh all that reliable um she doesn't have any um active superpowers that uh can help her action economy so except uh, except for the deadly origins which is her spender which she can't which, which she won't be able to do every turn necessarily um she she doesn't uh, she doesn't have anything to help her move aside from her uh, her long movement. She doesn't have any uh, throws. She doesn't have any any pushes. Uh, uh, nothing else. And um, you know, um, having played characters um, uh, of both types, I find that only having two actions it, it feels a little bit um, stultifying for me. Um, I will say though that she seems very well designed as an introductory character. So she's perfectly placed in the core game uh, because she is so uh, so reliable in the things that she does. 
Uh, she's easy to move around. She's pretty hard to kill. You have a really good chance of uh, of uh, uh, keeping her alive, at least till she does the thing that she's supposed to do. She's got re-rolls all over the place. And um, uh, uh, yeah, she just, uh, she's not too, too complicated. So yeah, um, yeah, she's, she's a great intro character, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that her being in the core box makes a lot of sense. And again, we got to think about what this core box represents. It Not only is it new characters for us to all play and have a good time with and all that stuff, but it's also an introduction. And you really hit that on the head there is this is a character that will introduce mechanics to other characters, right? Like we talked about calculated risk being a common reroll mechanic. Granted, this one is exactly like what Blade has in Supernatural Senses, but there's a lot of other reroll mechanics that function in this way. The all that matters is the mission is an intro to Nick Fury and the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Martial artist is a very common thing. Stealth, very common thing. And I will say this, don't sleep on an all stealth list. It might not be the best thing ever, but I tell you what, it's super annoying. Having played oh, that yeah. against people, I just made a list where everyone has stealth, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, dude! <laughs> like, like who am I supposed to attack here?" I was like, "No one. That's that's it's literally nobody. You're supposed to attack nobody." <laughs> I got I got pretty sneaky cyst in a game recently, and that sucked. Oh yeah, pretty sneaky cyst is great, and it's one of those things where it costs a lot, but making it to where you can't attack anyone unless they're within range two is just amazing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, um, if 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 you're the one playing the card, if you're oh, yeah, yeah. not the one playing the card, it's uh it's a really sad sad it, turn. This is this is facts. This is facts, and you know it would just be like that sometimes, right? Indeed, indeed. indeed. Um, so, Will, are we gonna are, are we gonna talk about the cute trick? Well, I mean, we've got to talk about the cute trick. So, so I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Black Widow is the only character that can attack out of stealth. Uh, no, she's not. Oh, yep. Okay, so, forget it. <laughs> so that's one of the things about widow stingers that we didn't really discuss is that that's a range four attack and she has stealth so certain reactions won't necessarily pop you know proc which i think is is really good but also um moon knight can do that okay yeah and then i think yeah. we've got another character in this core box that's about to be able to do that all right yeah yeah but it is cute, and I think it's fun. It's a cute trick. It's a fun trick. I don't know that it's the best way to use a four-power, uh, four-threat character to run around safely at range four, dealing four dice attacks. But yeah, you know, if you've got an objective and you're trying to you're trying to win the game, yeah. I will say that uh, most recent game I played, one of the things uh, uh, my buddy and I um, talked about um, in the debrief was that uh, we've gotten quite good at, you know, grabbing objectives, looking at the scoreboard and running, but we're not so good at not running too far away. Yeah. Because a lot of times the game isn't actually in the bag. And if you're, got, if you're you know, four threat dude holding the token is in the corner of the of the battlefield, you might not be able to get back to, uh, to uh, change things uh, if, uh, if the plan goes south. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas, whereas again, uh, the Black Widow will teach will teach uh, newer players that uh, you know she can be really safe on the back line, still contributing in her own way, and uh, and earning you points every turn. Yeah. 
So that eliminates that uh, that feel bad of taking your characters out of the action, and I really like that. It sure does. So I gotta say, I I like this character. I know that we we've maybe been a little we threw some cold water on her here at the same time though. I think that this character is going to have a lot of play on the tabletop overall. I think when you look at threat value, four threat is, we've had a ton of it in this, the fourth year of Marvel Crisis Protocol, but it makes it harder to, I think, splash this character around. So it's one of those things where I think she's going to see a lot of table time, but it might not be as much as maybe I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I will say I'm I'm super looking forward to uh, trying her out in Shield. Oh, absolutely. And and that first Avenger Steve is ooh, I think that's going to be spicy. Oh yeah. Yeah. So She's not too shabby with OG Steve either. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, it's being able to reroll for uh one power is pretty nice and then that saves the power for her to get her um deadly origins off. Right, exactly. Yeah. So now for a few minutes, I want to take a, a discussion here because we've been, been alluding to new players and the interactions that new players have with this game and stuff like that. And what are your thoughts on on onboarding new players? And is this Earth's Mightiest Core set a new place to say, hey, people that haven't played MCP before or haven't played a miniatures game before, come on over. The water's fine. Well, I mean, certainly the uh, cer certainly the uh, set seems to be packed with good value. And even though prices are going up across the board, it's still a really good, it's, it's still a re really good deal and consistent with starting out in other games. Um, I haven't had a, a, a detailed look at all the characters, although I've, uh, I've been listening to uh, uh, podcasts such as, uh, uh, the ineffable uh, house party protocol. Um, <laughs> so uh, and uh, uh, you know, as we as we said before, the characters all seem very very carefully and purposely designed to introduce uh, newer players to the whole uh, of the of the game without being necessarily uh, uh, weaker or like uh, uh, B grade characters as uh, many of the characters in the original core set turned out to be. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I, uh, I wonder about what the ratio of, uh, new to gaming, uh, players will be to, uh, new to MCP players. I suspect yeah. most people who play, uh, who have adopted Marvel Crisis Protocol, uh, have played at least one miniatures game before. Um, it's, uh, uh. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know one way or the other, but it's just, it's just my guess and my experience that, yeah. um, yeah, um, usually some, somebody's at least played a little bit of Warhammer or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so in terms of, in terms of our onboarding, um, I think the, uh, the, the dream for a lot of people and I'm sure for Atomic Mass is to get, you know, the, the, uh, MCU people and the comic book people suddenly playing board game, uh, tabletop games. Um, uh, but the reality is that, uh, uh, the bulk of onboarding uh, stuff uh, probably should be focused on strategies that uh, describe the, the advantages that Marvel Crisis Protocol has over other similar games. Uh, yeah, for sure. And I got to agree with you in that 
a strategies for how to bring people in, I think is something that is difficult for a lot of people to maybe understand and to kind of take themselves out of it. Like for me as someone who, you know, I play competitive events, I play casually, I do all the stuff. And how do I be a good ambassador for the game to grow the game is something that I have to remind myself of at times. Like if I show up to the shop and I'm like, cool person who's only played a couple of games and just picked up some models, I'm going to play my super tuned tournament list. Like maybe that's not the best way to be an ambassador for the game and to, to bring people into the game. You know, maybe it's like, Hey, what do you want to play? Let's, let's have a conversation and stuff like that. And I think that with the new core set that we have here, taking those opportunities to let new players drive the bus and say, what do you think's cool? Okay. You think guardians of the galaxy is cool. Okay. Well here, try star Lord and Drax and Gamora and, and see what you like about these characters. And, you know, and we can talk about stuff. And also I think having a conversation with your opponent of like, do you want to talk about strategy while we play? Do you want to talk about some synergies that you could maybe come with here? You know, I think stuff like that is something that we can do as players to, broaden the horizon of marvel crisis protocol yeah absolutely absolutely but then from a from a more uh, uh structural standpoint i think a, a really under underlooked um hurdle uh for uh more experienced gamers and and marvel crisis protocol players in particular is uh is roster building um oh yeah it's it's a, it's a very challenging part of the game and uh you know um very aptly uh, nicknamed turn zero by the community um and especially the uh the relationship between the team you build and the crises that you select uh is uh, is pretty opaque i mean i've had you know a couple games in and many 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 hours of you know uh, reading and listening to podcasts and i still have no idea really how to select my how to select my uh um my crises uh yeah in my roster like i know all i i used to at least know you know um in general you know well i i want b's or d's or e's or c's but uh there there are, there are so many of them that that is difficult to uh, uh keep track of the nuances uh but between each particular uh uh, uh crisis since they're all so unique um yeah and i wonder i wonder if uh the community or um uh, Maybe ideally the the publisher uh, mightn't take a page from uh, what I've seen in the board gaming community, which I'm uh, not I'm not a board gamer, but I've noticed that that uh, a lot of board games will have a very guided introduction to the game. So uh, Warhammer Underworlds, for example, when you when you open up a box, it says don't open this pack. The pack of cards, it's a miniatures and card game, and it says don't open this pack until you're ready to play. And then it's like. On the first turn, you're going to draw these five cards because the card because yeah. the cards are in particular order. So he says like, this is exactly what's going to happen. So your first game is literally the the game walking you through one action, one action, one action. Yeah. And we can see something like this in Marvel Crisis Protocol with a with like a gauntlet kind of thing where you take a core set uh, 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 roster and you actually play all the crises once, right? Yeah. Maybe in maybe in matched pairs, and so it could be kind of. Uh, I don't know, like a campaign day or something or, or 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 a league sort of scenario where everybody plays the same the same uh uh pair of um 
of extract and um, secure yeah. um, until people get familiar uh, with with the game and you know are really able to um, open up that level of strategy to their uh, uh, to to their uh, gameplay. Uh, what do you think yeah. about that? I mean, I think a guided experience is interesting. I, I don't I don't hate that idea at all. I think it's a little easier to do in a more board game type setting than it is in a tabletop setting just because of the distances that people are interacting with and stuff like that. I think it's, it's, it can be difficult. And I think that the way that you would have to structure something like that is kind of the way that I structure my demos. Like whenever I give someone a demo, I gave a demo at Adepticon actually. And the way I do it is I'm like, okay, cool. We're only going to focus on one part of the card at a time. Okay, cool. Here's where your movement value is. Let's get moving. All right. How, identify the movement value on everybody. And and here's objectives. And you wanna we want to pick those up. We want to stand next to them or, or whatever the objectives were at the time. I think I played the original core set let's play thing, which was extremists and cube fragments. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you explain to someone that you have two actions interacting with objectives does not cost an action and you have and you explain the power mechanic and how they move right like that's kind of the first thing that people need to understand and so you can set up a guided experience where instead of okay let's deploy all our models and and let's alternate activations all this stuff you can have a guided experience that starts in the middle of round one you could design something like that i think where you're like okay cool this character is already standing on an objective. Now the next thing you need to do is move a character up to go pick up an objective, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds that sounds like a great idea. And I, I mean, keep in mind, I'm just I'm just uh, spitballing, really talking yeah. off the top of my head. I mean, um, you know, logistics aside, um, uh, and I think I think uh, MCP is not alone in this in this weakness, but there is there seems to be this this understanding that there are casual players and there's competitive players. And I think that's a real oversimplification. Yes, the competitive player actually uh, certainly exists. The people who devour every piece of, of content they could find, who like to min-max their rosters and like to, uh, you know, um, uh, try to find what the, uh, what the best overall team in the meta is gonna be, right? Yeah. And, and MC, MCP uh, does a great job catering to to those uh, to those people because M MCP has a lot of strategic depth, a lot of tactical interest, tactically interesting problems, and it's a uh, um, it's a dice game. So uh, uh, you're always incentivized to um, be able to react to the unexpected. Yes. But I, I think that I, I think that the idea of the casual player as somebody who's just happy to um, uh, line up five pajama men against another five pajama men and, <laughs> and uh, uh, mush models together is, uh, is a real misunderstanding of the way probably most people play this game. I mean, even take me, for example, I, I, like I say, I play every couple months. I'm, not, I'm certainly not a, uh, not a uh, uh, MCP expert by any means. Uh, most of the characters I haven't seen. In fact, I, 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 I played Avengers for the first time last weekend, uh, mostly because I had not played with or against them. Avengers, can you imagine? <laughs> um, and uh, um, but I want to 
I want to know how to play the game. It's really important to me. Um, uh, as a kind of player, I am the what is it, psychographic profile, I guess, uh, magic uh, aficionados would call it, um, to, uh, to understand uh, the rules and the ramifications. And even knowing that I'm not going to be a, an expert player, I, I want to make sure that I'm not making fundamental mistakes, yeah. like, uh, like a disconnect between the roster I'm playing and the, uh, and, and the uh, um, crises that I've selected. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. Um, and, um, I, I wonder, I wonder if there are ways to, um, to, uh, uh, make that a more explicit part of, uh, of our community. Yeah. I think it just comes with the social contract when you walk up to the tabletop is like, Hey, let me, you know, if you're, if you're playing a more experienced player, right? Like, and that's the hard thing. If it's two newer players playing each other, they don't know what they don't know, right? right? So you don't necessarily have that until you inject someone that might be more experienced or until you just continue to gain that experience being in the rules, being in the character cards this, and, and doing that kind of stuff. I think you brought up a good point about like roster building and, and not making some turn zero mistakes in that way. And one of the things that I'm looking at doing with a local community is having just a roster building day or, or a roster building session where we might not roll any dice that day, but we go through a lot of the nuances of building rosters like, hey, what do you want to play? Okay, you want to play Sentinels, right? I got a buddy that wants to play Sentinels. Awesome. Let's look at the things that Sentinels might want to do in a match and how we can maximize that and what characters can kind of shore up some of their weaknesses. And so we go through and we kind of, you know, can sit there and, and go through all the different characters, go through the tactics cards and be like, okay, now crisis selection time. You know, here's what each of these crises, crisis, 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 cry, cry somethings. Here's what they right. can, they, they do and what you want to be trying to focus on with each one and, and trying to break that down step-by-step, step, I think can be very beneficial for newer players, but I would not do a roster building session with people until they have a few games under their belt. I think that's I think that's fair, and and I think uh, you know thinking it through, uh, one of the one of the key differences between a, a competitive and, and uh, an interested casual player, let's say, is that uh, is that I think sometimes think that a competitive player would play with a wooden dowel if it had the best stats, <laughs> yes, or, <laughs> or did the best uh, or or, or, or uh, was the best piece for this particular task that they needed to do, and I'm I'm obviously over exaggerating, but you know it's a really it's a real stats first um, uh, mindset. And if yes. you want, if 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 you think, uh, you know, what you really need to win is to put Malekith in your shield roster, you're going to do that, right? Sure. Whereas a casual player, you know, might play affiliation only, even if that's not the best thing. Uh, we talked a lot about whether Black the Black Widow. Uh, Stats-wise, uh, we'll cut the mustard in the future. There's a lot of people who will play the Black Widow because they're a big fan of the Black Widow, and um, I think um, uh, now having thought about uh, all the work we just did on on um, analyzing this character, maybe what we uh, <laughs> what we should be doing moving forward is uh, is talking about how best to use a character rather than why this character isn't as good as some other one that already exists. Oh, for sure. I, I definitely think that I, I think we did a good job of 
expressing some of that. And, and I do think that getting back to that, like how best to use a character, that's something that I do try to focus on. It's like, you know, how do, how do you get the maximum out of a character? And I think that's when we kind of just, yeah, I mean, trying to get those reps in with those characters. And when a new player comes in, trying to let them discover that, but also not letting them work themselves into a really terrible situation is also something good. Oh yeah. I think when it comes down to, when it comes down to characters and, you know, there are exceptions, but, um, as playing pieces, they're all at least perfectly, perfectly adequate. Right. Yep, and exactly. it comes to when it, it's when it comes down to, um, you know, the actual, um, uh, strategies on the game and, um, uh, frankly, these these pro plays like uh, uh, what was I called? Uh, Wakanda Wave back in the day oh, yeah. when they would uh, uh, it, it, there was all these uh, strategies to uh, to I uh, would steal the herb and bring it back and like uh, uh, win uh, turn one or two turn zero right. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that uh, it, we're in uh, specific character selection really really matters. Yeah, absolutely. So so yeah, I mean, I think we we. We got a lot of things to think about here, and when it comes to newer players, just finding out what those players want to do and what they want to be at from a play perspective, I think is is where you got to start with it all. But Dave, we're running a little long here, so I think we got to put a button on this one. Thanks. Uh, I've been I've been called prolix before, so uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> no, you're good, man. So, uh, Dave, are you out there on the interwebs anywhere? I am. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm all over the place. I'm. I'm. Chime in on a bunch of diff- discords. Like uh, I know everybody personally, so uh, so don't take it personally if I'm familiar with you. Uh, I'm also on Twitch. I, uh, I as I said, I do like to paint. I'm trying to keep a consistent schedule. Wednesday nights uh, EST from about eight o'clock. I'm Kill Panic on on Twitch, cool. and uh, uh, it's not necessarily a goal, but uh, I'm getting pretty close to affiliate, so that's pretty fun. Thank you. Uh, for doing what I would do anyway. I'm on Instagram as uh, as uh, other Dave painting as nice. well. So if you want to check out check out my stuff there, uh, my feed starts with a bunch of uh, the uh, MCP miniatures uh, that I've already done. So you can you can also look at my uh, my painting progress as I've improved over the last few years. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, definitely hit me up on on any of those social media channels. If you want to chat or uh, if you uh, want to get a game in the uh, the Greater Toronto area. Nice. Yeah, definitely do that. And there will be links in the description to the Instagram and the Twitch so that you guys can go and check that out. And also, I do want to say uh, thank you, Dave, for being on with me today. This has been really cool and really insightful and fun. And I always like chatting with members of the broader MCP community, but also members of the House Party Protocol community. It's something that I, I really love. So I appreciate that very much. And uh, Suits out there listening, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here with us today. If you're interested, you can check out patreon.com slash housepartyprotocol for as little as a dollar a month or 12 bucks a year. You can come to the greatest corner of the internet, if I say so myself. I mean, Dave, you can speak to this a little bit, I would assume, that uh, the HPP Discord is pretty legit, right? Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic and welcoming community. Uh, You know, uh, really... uh, 
uh, toe that line between uh, between expert knowledge and uh, and uh, welcoming friendliness. It's a great place to be. Good, good. Yeah, I'm glad that that community is thriving over there like that. It really means a lot to me. And also, if you're interested, we are making jerseys right now for house party protocol and i think they're going to be about 25 dollars a piece no one's going to have to pay shipping just be a flat again we're, we're finishing finalizing the numbers all that stuff but i think it's going to be about 25 bucks a piece and we don't get anything like house party protocol me as an entity i don't make any money on this or anything it's literally just we designed it and we're going to order them send them out to people all that stuff if you live overseas you might have to pay shipping just because that's overseas shipping nonsense but it is what it is but realistically we're trying to keep it as low cost for everyone as possible they look pretty dope do they not dave yeah they look really cool they look really cool i'm I, i'm thinking i might have to get one myself <laughs> yeah listen when's the, when's the last day we can uh, commit so the last day to commit is going to be nine nine so when you're listening to this it'll be saturday nine. Yeah, nine nine. Uh, so, make sure to get your order in by then, and then you'll have another two weeks to get your payment submitted. But we will not be accepting orders after nine nine. So, just want to get that out there, and also just I'm excited for the future of this podcast. We got some more things coming. I've been a little delayed with getting certain things off the ground and whatnot, but. Uh, we're working on it. We're working on it. And uh, I just got to say, I really appreciate everybody. And you can follow us on Facebook. Make sure to like and subscribe on the YouTubes. I don't post as much as I maybe want to right now, but hopefully that'll change in the near future. And then also uh, on Discord, if you need to reach out to me for any reason, you can send me a message. I'm at HPP underscore Will on pretty much every MCP Discord out there. So feel free to hit me up on that and then uh, send us messages, housepartyprotocolpod at gmail.com. Keep commenting on the posts whenever I make them. Uh, a couple things. It's really weird, but the algorithm loves that crap. So <laughs> if you could like and comment and all that fun stuff, it really goes a long way to helping other people find their way to house party protocol. And I really appreciate it and enjoy it. I enjoy seeing the comments that everybody makes. So yeah. With that, party on, Dave. Party on, Will. And power down, Seuss. <laughs>